Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you all. So I'm, I'm excited today. Um, I get to to share the um, share the teaching with David Lee. So we chatted yesterday, and um, so this will be a, a a little bit different. And in, in that, let's say for this first 15 minute or the first half an hour sit, um, I will lightly guide, just really lightly guide the first maybe 15 minutes or so. And then um, David's going to take over and, um, and lead the, the, the second half of the meditation. And then um, I will begin talking, I'm doing a bit of a Dharma talk, and we're going to be talking about kind of the fusion of compassion and wisdom today, which I think is a lot of um, kind of how, how we could hold, you know, what's happening in the most beneficial way. Technically, the topic today is compassion and action, I think. So it'll stay you know, within that realm of discussion there. So yeah, maybe if we could just go ahead and move into a nice posture for practice. allowing some gratitude to arise for being here together, really sensing into community. Allowing yourself to feel a sense of connection. Obviously, we are separated physically. We're all here meditating together, taking advantage of that feeling of group meditation. Group intention. How incredibly fortunate we are to be able to sit with Sangha. We have found each other.
just allowing yourself to rest in a compassionate heart. The Brahma Vihara is this metta, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, wonderful states, wonderful objects of meditation. Directing your attention to just the felt sense of kindness and compassion in the heart mind. Even the intention of compassion, kindness. Being an extremely stable object for the mind to return to.
to continue with the subject of compassion, fusion with wisdom, I would like to invite you to the big mind meditation by listening to the sounds of the bells. Compassion is another doorway to love and awareness. In love and awareness, we use, we <clears throat> concentrate with love in order to realize the love and awareness itself. Similarly, in compassion, we bring compassion, kindness to the sufferings that's arising in order to awaken this compassionate quality within ourselves. Can you, can you differentiate between the sounds of the bell versus the hearing capacity? Because that compassionate quality is similar to that. Imagine the sound of each bell is like the object of compassion. And the hearing capacity is the compassion itself, that compassionate quality that, that is innate in each and every one of us. Each sound of the bell is like a part. It has non-existence, there's no sound. And then existence, there's sound. And then non-existence again, no sound. So that's the nature of whatever's arising in ourselves. And we bring compassionate, unconditional love to it. And what is that compassionate quality? It's always here. It's existence. Right now, I'm bringing compassionate. And then it's existence. I'm still bringing compassionate quality to the sound of the bell. And then when the bell's gone, it's still existence. So it's we, the bell just helped me to realize this innate quality of hearing capacity, of this compassionate quality in me. So the practice of compassion is to find the objects, bring compassionate quality to any object, to awaken this pure capacity of pure compassionate 
capacity. In Zen, they call it the small mind. We embrace the small mind to realize the big mind. The sounds of the bell have arisen and passed away, but the hearing capacity is still here. Similarly, whatever objects of compassion arise and pass away, but this infinite container of compassionate capacity is still here. Can we awaken and rest in this infinite container? And we have enough space to accommodate whatever content arises. The suffering of others, of ourselves, so that we can be with it and have enough space to embrace them. Whatever thoughts arising, whatever emotion, feeling, they arise just like the sound, just like the sound of the bell. And when we embrace it 
our embracing capacity, our compassionate capacity is just like the hearing capacity, the one who's listening to the bell. So the bell is arising in us instead of we're in the sound because we're bigger. From the vantage point of the something bigger, from this compassionate whole, it gives us wisdom to see it from the whole outside of our conditions, outside of our viewpoints, outside of the self-referencing. And from the vantage point of this universal hope, we can step back in and play the role. But with the wisdom of the universal hope of the big mind.
Thank you for allowing me to share the practice with you and be in your presence. I would like to turn it back over to Casey. Thank you. Thank you, Casey, for having me. Oh, thank you so much, David, for, for arriving here and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for that. It's beautiful. Um, so like, like I mentioned in, in the, at the beginning, so our topic today, compassion and, and action, and really fusing this um, compassion and wisdom. Really great example of um, of this from the meditation that that David led, and of this you know big mind, uh, small mind, big mind. We could also look at relative truth and and ultimate truth and these different different aspects of beingness. And with the suffering that we're carrying, you know, this is something to look at and and how do we blend these two worlds? I think this is something that that uh, we all might grapple with which i'm grappling with which is this this kind of more big mind of just the compassion the energy of compassion itself which is really free from judgment it's just just an energy and then this you know, relative level um, aspect which is you know engaged buddhism like action and and duality and justice and injustice and good and bad and how do we how do we hold these these two effectively and yeah so this is this is something that if we look at the the energy of compassion itself it's it's really uh, has an, an enlivened quality to it it has a, a bright quality to it like bodhicitta awakened awakened mind this has like this almost like this positive charged to it and we could see if we're let's say we're suffering and we're not feeling well and and a friend of ours comes and, and visits we're not looking at them to we're looking at them to engage and and to be there and to listen and we we want to be heard but it's not like we have this feeling that we want them to model back um, suffering or, or take on this suffering and just kind of suffer in the same way that we are. We would want, like them to model um, equanimity. We want them to model maybe calm and peace and strength, you know, all, all of these things. And yet, when we're met with suffering, it can there can be like an, an evolution that that takes place to get to that that strength and that calm and that equanimity as we can maybe see in our own you know healing process or the way we're carrying uh, suffering i'm reflecting on how i'm feeling uh lately this last few days and you know the feeling the feeling that i have i, I liken it to like failing a test I feel like I failed the test. Um, I feel like I've received the lectures and, and the books, and I knew I knew there was a test coming, and and there was a pop quiz, you know, and 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 I failed. And I was reflecting, like, um, 
David Lee and I actually, I forget how long ago it was, David, maybe, maybe three or four years ago, maybe it's been that long, that we were working on a mindfulness program for uh, police officers, for law enforcement. Um, many of you know David has uh, a past in law enforcement. And, you know, attempting to get mindfulness into the cities and, and into those organizations, first responders and whatnot. And for various reasons, you know, the, it ran out of steam. There's a lot of energy that it takes and whatnot. You know, there's this feeling of, there's a feeling of regret that I've, that I've should have, um, I've done, should have done more. I could have done more. Um, should have prioritized certain, certain things. And so, so this, this sitting with, this sitting with this sense of regret and, and, and using it. And, you know, one thing that this path teaches us is that wherever we are and however we're, whatever is arising, we have to, we can't skip it. We're not going to skip over this part, this painful part and say, oh, I'm just going to do better next time. You know, now through this new arising, this new happening, I'm going to take it upon myself and I'm going to, I'm going to do better and all that. But I've just been looking into the energy of regret um, itself and really wanting to feel that. How, how does that feel within my beingness? How, what, what is there to learn from that? There's, there's goodness in this. Um, so I researched out a, a couple, couple um, aspects of the path that use regret um, in, in a positive way to really sit with it and transform it. And maybe we could look at this regret as a form of this kind of small mind but in a positive way and is moving towards big mind if we sit with it. And I took this from the Lojong text. So this is, um, you know, from Atisha's mind training with a great Tibetan practice. And, and I think this is from Trungpa Rinpoche's uh, commentary on the Lojong text. And it's about confession of negative deeds. He says, to accumulate merit, we also must be freed from our previous negative karma. To do this, we must engage in confessing our negative deeds. One of the ways to reduce the ripening of karma is through regret for having created the causes that bring on suffering. This is one of our main special applications to confess or acknowledge negative actions. And we can see this like in the Christian tradition, you know, confessing. The Tibetan word is shagpa, and it has a sense of chipping away. When chopping down a tree, one starts bit by bit until nothing keeps it from standing anymore. In the same way, regretting and acknowledging are the opposites of justifying ourself or rigid action. As long as, we have, as long as we hold on to our entrenched attitude, it is impossible to change. On the other hand, if we loosen up our attitude, feeling regret for what we've done, then we're able to let go of the pattern, slowly changing our ways. 
This is why confessing for having done something negative is a special, is a second of the special applications. And then I would like to, to read, um, this is from Minga Rinpoche, and it's on the, the power of remorse. And he's relaying, this is um, part of the Nunjo practices, so the preliminary practices um, in Tibetan Buddhism is just to reflecting, reflecting on the power of remorse. And, and it's the story of uh, Angulimala. Angulimala, maybe many of you are, are familiar with this story. So uh, maybe you could just hear the words. I'm gonna actually read it in the full length of, of the story as he relates. So it's a, a little bit longer on the longer side, but it's just such a, a beautiful story of transformation. Um, of regret, remorse, and then transforming this. So I just kind of wanted to, to read it today. Of the stories that pertain to the disciples of the historical Buddha, Angulimala's story is the most well-known and most dramatic. Angulimala, under the misguided direction of one of his professors, set out to kill 1,000 people. He was only one short of completing his mission when he saw a monk walking way ahead of him on the road. Angulimala was so happy. Even though Angulimala trusted his professor enough to commit these deadly acts, he was beset with doubts. So he was relieved that his days of destruction would soon be over. He already had 999 fingers around his neck. His name, Angulimala, means garland of fingers. Now he had his last victim in sight and could bring his killing spree to an end. But how, however fast he ran towards the monk, he could not catch up. Soon he was almost out of breath, but the monk just maintained his slow pace. Finally, Angulimala yelled out, How, hey, you, wait up. The monk continued. Angulimala yelled again, what is the matter with you? Why don't you stop? The monk continued to walk. And without turning around, he said, I did stop, Angulimala. You should stop too. That's strange, without turning around. That's strange, thought Angulimala to himself. He says that he stopped, but he is still walking. Is he a monk who lies? Angulimala continued to run very fast and the monk continued to walk very slowly. Then from afar, he called to the monk, what do you mean I stopped? You're still walking. And the monk replied, I stopped creating suffering for myself and others, but you Angulimala are busy running here and there with so much fear and anguish in your mind. Then Angulimala thought, wow, he knows my situation. He understands my mind. Angulimala began to slow down and the monk turned to face him and allowed him to catch up. When Angulimala got close enough, he saw that the monk was the Buddha himself. The Buddha appeared peaceful and contented. He smiled at the man with 999 fingers around his neck. No one had looked at Angulimala with such kindness for a long time, 
all of his murderous intentions melted away. The Buddha said to him, you must stop killing. This is not right. You are causing so much harm to yourself and others. Then Angulimala understood that his teacher had tricked him. He became distraught, overwhelmed with despair and horrified by his behavior. At that time, it was impossible for Angulimala to imagine that there could be a shred of anything worthwhile in his destructive behavior. We too might assume that there was no wisdom to be found in Angulimala's actions. As my father told me, this is Minga Rinpoche talking, normally we do not bother to look for goodness in negative action. We do not look for it in ourselves or in others. That's a mistake because there's always one excellent quality present. Even for a serial killer like Angulimala, every negative act has within it the seed of purification. There's no such thing as absolute negativity. There's no absolute bad karma, impossible. This is not just uplifting feel-good spiritual theory. This understanding is completely integrated with the truth of the Dharma, if you do not believe in the possibility of purification for the most terrible acts, then you cannot accept the relative truth of impermanence, which rests on the absolute truth of emptiness. Nothing stays the same that includes negative karma. Nothing stays the same that includes negative karma. Whether or not that seed of purification will ripen depends on how we deal with our negativities but we must deeply know that we have the capacity for purification, just as we have the capacity for liberation. The Buddha saw that Angulimala clearly recognized his own predicament, that he took responsibility for his actions and that he was sincere in his wish to make amends. Not long after this initial encounter with the Buddha, Angulimala shaved his head and became a monk. He never killed again but his mind remained tormented by his memories of his victims. The Buddha explained the truth of emptiness, the impermanent nature of all phenomena and the capacity for purification, but the Buddha could not just wave a wand and wash away Angulimala's bad karma and restore him to sanity. Angulimala had his work cut out for him to transform guilt and remorse into positive qualities. That was his special challenge and since he had killed 999 people. We can imagine what a, what a mountain of challenge he faced. Eventually, Angulimala used remorse to transform guilt and shame into wisdom and compassion. And Angulimala's transformation formed the basis of the approach to purification that in Nundro we call the power of remorse. Right, so I hope you found that story helpful. Um, and so I'm gonna turn it over now to, to David, which is gonna share a little bit more on this wisdom aspect as we move, as we move into transformation from this um, small mind to big mind, relative truth to ultimate truth.
Uh, first, I would like to uh, go to you all, see if you have any question regarding that uh, big mind, small mind meditation, the, the sound meditation, and then I can use that to put into the, uh, the context uh, of everyday life, how to deal with suffering, injustice, racism, or whatever topics that's coming up. Anybody? Um, is it okay if I, if you can unmute everybody, uh, and then so they want to come up, they want to come up uh, and ask and share. I, I see a Hi. Yes, I just wanted to say I really loved your meditation. It helped me really get that distinction in a deeper way about the capacity and when you're playing the bells and then like the hearing is always there but then when when you played each bell it helped me um realize as a metaphor um how that compassion uh or that hearing is the capacity of what we have within us and um anyway it was just really powerful and thank you Thank you. If I may uh, kind of show in the pictures here. Um, so what, what I was doing is um, when the sound of the bell, it has a beginning and ending, it's a part. And when I show, when it's similar to whatever emotion arising in us, it has beginning and ending. And then when we're willing to bring compassionate, unconditional love to it, we can we discover that we're bigger than it with a, this base this notepad that's holding the bell and that is the wisdom because we standing outside of this um whatever difficulties arising and from the vantage point of being outside now we can see things clearly just like what casey was mentioning uh there's something that unites us all this thing here even though we are different here, can we find the unit, uh, the whole, the universal whole that something that unites us are in the midst of the differences? And that's uh, and if we can find the whole, then it's very difficult to do wrong. We can't do wrong, just like uh, and Anumali, he 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 couldn't find uh, he he couldn't find the whole. That's why he commit mis uh, uh, murders and kill other people because he's separated from the other. But when Buddha has helped him to find the whole, the compassionate whole, then he stopped because from the compassionate whole, it helps him to drop this. Oops, <laughs> I'm sorry, I put it low. <laughs> sorry, I was put in here, as, so I wasn't looking at myself. So from the compassionate whole, uh, he can drop his part. He can drop himself as I'm, uh, uh, I hate these people, I need to cut the, uh, kill them and get, get the finger. So what's, what's Buddha doing is awaken this compassionate whole here. So, and the, the bell meditation has awakened, help us to see this compassionate whole, to see the uh, capacity for hearing which is bigger than the object of hearing. And from that, now 
the same similar sim, similarly when you bring compassionate quality to whatever is arising you discover that you bigger the capacity for compassion the capacity for loving is that okay did i answer your question thank you anybody else I like to tailor it to your to your needs. I I'd yeah. like to say that I enjoyed uh, both presentations, and um, when we meditate and we pull back from small mind, or are able to exist in big mind, we relinquish everything, and it seems like the the path from start to finish is all about letting go of attachments, letting go and relinquishing. And then we find that what's left is compassion and wisdom. But even those things don't exist until there's an object that requires uh, compassion and wisdom or a situation that requires compassion and wisdom. There's, there's just a void or big mind or universal mind or uh, emptiness and then uh, a situation leads to compassion and wisdom. But it, it, I'm, I'm the story of Agulimali, I can't pronounce his name, but uh, you know, he had to let go of, of uh, these crazy thoughts he had and this crazy obsession he had. And um, you know, it seems that the, the path to Enlightenment is all about letting go and relinquishing everything. Beautiful, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, Anthony was beautiful in pointing it out about the, um, usually it's hard to find. Okay, uh, so we have two uh, dimensions, the object of awareness, the object of compassion, and the compassionate quality itself here. Um, but the compassionate quality itself is formless. It's very hard to see. So what Anthony was pointing out is because our senses, our six senses, are uh, used to seeing a form, used to looking outward. So we start out with a form, with a compassionate object. Just like loving kindness, uh, we start out with any object of compassion, ourselves, other people, other people suffering to awaken this formless. So um, so when we, so first we start out with the object to awaken this capacity. Once we recognize this capacity, we can rest in this capacity. This capacity is formless. It has two, two, uh, two uh, qualities, formless and luminosity. Just like Casey was saying uh, earlier, it, it can shine light on whatever is arising. Uh, it can shine light on the object, but we step backward instead of focusing on the object. We use the object to step backward and we rest in this light, the one that illuminates the object. And this light is what our, uh, our wisdom is. So even though we, it's hard to see the formless, but we can rest in the light, the light of uh, uh, the shining light on this. And when the shining light, if we, 
we can see our, uh, our conditioning, our murderous quality. And that's what Casey was mentioning is when Buddha helped Anugalas shine the light on his murderous uh, quality, then it helped him to drop it. But if, if without Buddha, Anugala was unable to find this uh, light. And if he's unable to see it, then he is the murderous quality. It's very hard for him to drop if he himself is. So Buddha helped him to recognize that that murderous quality is just a part in him, something that's arising in him, but he's more than it. And in that more than is the ability, is the wisdom to drop. Thank you for clarifying that, Anthony. Oh, yes. Christine? Yes. Hello. Yeah, I was also thinking about there's another part to that story of like Anguli Mala, and that was he was told, he was given a task by somebody else to enact these murders. At least that's the story. It wasn't, he wasn't just a serial killer. Somebody, a teacher, told him to do that. It's kind of like our society with the the racism built in that you're you're given this task to suppress these people or keep these people down mm-hmm. you know so there was a certain wisdom and discernment that came to him with that light that the, the buddha gave to him to to discern that this was a wrong thing to do but i'm curious as to how does that kind of because like there's lightness there's luminosity but on, on the other hand there's darkness too so how does that I mean, it was wonderful that the Buddha came along to give him this light, but what happens with those systems or that teacher that kind of put him on this path of, gave him this task to murder like 900 and 1,000 people. He was supposed to murder 1,000 people. I know, I'm just curious. Um, <clears throat> we have a tendency to attract whatever we have in our mind. Mm-hmm. So if we have uh, anger, resentment, murderous quality, we attract the same kind of teachers, the same kind of uh, friend, the same kind of acquaintance that we go. Okay. If we have a loving kindness, a compassionate quality, we also tend to attract teachers that have the kind of quality, the people. So, um, it's not the it's not just the teachers that uh, give him the murderous quality, but it's already in it in him that attract those kind. So it's just like a lemon seed. You grow into a, a, a lemon uh, fruit, an orange seed. You grow into an orange. The other teacher are just like uh, fertilizer water that. So it's that, it's already in that, that let the seed. So what Buddha was saying is, can you recognize this compassionate quality in, in you so that you can see that you're planting a lemon seed? So can you switch from the lemon seed to the uh, orange seed? And from uh, the orange seed, then it with uh, enough uh, effort, uh, which is fertilized, and it will grow into an orange uh, uh, fruit. 
but in order to switch from a lemon C to an orange C, you we need we need to embrace them to awaken this compassionate compassionate capacity in ourselves. Yeah, you know, it makes so much sense because I, I was thinking with that story of Angulimala that you know, the stories that you see and read about neo-Nazis or white suprematists who there's a change in their heart and they see the error of their ways and they have this regret about what they've done and then they're trying to make up for it. Um, I've heard these people speak, you know, of how they were raised, whatever trauma or wrong thinking they had, but at some point there's a switch in their humanity. So it uh, gives me hope. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, Sandy. Hello, Sandy. Hi. Um, what I'm doing right now um, with my studying and my sitting and my observing and obviously seeing what everybody else sees that's going on is looking inside of myself to those seeds and not doing what Casey mentioned earlier, you know, not skipping this. I mean, you know, it's temptation to just um, not take any form of action or effort to to do your part. And I, I find that it's, it's very overwhelming, but I find that there's a lot of uh, good and I feel not powerless, but empowered by doing a sit and really being honest with myself as to what needs to be transformed in myself. And if I start with myself and do that within myself, um, I think I'm making, making a difference. And because I, I have such a large family, um, I can maybe shine some of that light into some of their suffering, as we're all suffering, and, and make it easier. So I'm even more committed to working on myself. Very beautiful. Yes. That's exactly the... What you just pointed out is the exactly the roots, the uh, the key the roots of our meditation is that we uh, <clears throat> we transform. If I maybe go back to this again, <laughs> when I have uh, this is me. This is somebody who I see social injustice out here. It's here first. If I only identify with myself fighting with this, then um, <clears throat> I carry my own conditionings with me. Because David's always right. If somebody else is different than David, he's always wrong. If when I send loving kindness, the compassionate quality, I discover something bigger than myself, the being so that I can include both. Even though I need to fight, change the oppressor or the 
wrongs that people put wrong. But I do it from the vantage point of this. So that now this David is just a role that I'm playing that I can um, <clears throat> use the role as my servant, but not being attached to the role. So there are conditioning that carry with this role, and I can use the role, but not get stuck with those conditionings. And then from the vantage point of being here, I don't get burned out in case if what I'm trying to achieve does not uh, get the result right away, get the benefit right away. So that from the vantage point of being uh, of compassion, there's patience involved. Patience for this little David trying to achieve. And when, so if I work on my being, work on myself, what I can help other people is so they can see their own being as well. So instead of me trying to change the other, I can buy, but it's not, there's an, in addition to that, what complement to that is what you're just saying is, can I rest in my being so that the other person can see that, that to awaken that their being so that they can rest in their being as well. Thank you. Uh, my screen is small, so I don't have, even though I can see that there are 35 participants, so uh, I cannot see any, uh, everybody at once. So in, if you raise your hand, I may not see you. So please feel free to, if you haven't had a chance, feel free to just unmute yourself. And I, I, yeah, I just wanted to say it sounds like, like the, the implication for this is like, our activism should come from a desire to, well, it should come from a place of compassion and not from anger. Yes, because in anger is still me versus the other, but in uh, uh, compassionate wisdom is the universal whole holding the parts, and some part may gone astray, astray. So, so it's it's just like um, David is a kid. <laughs> fighting with another kid but compassionate ho is like the mom who embraced both kids even though uh, kid number one has to straighten out kid number two but there's no hatred against kids number two because if when there's no hatred then there's no burning out when you're trying to achieve something because sometimes even though you're trying to achieve something the system takes a long time to get change. System may not go along the way you expect it, may not, uh, uh, now may get set back. And if I get stuck in David trying to make the change, then I will get burned out and I will lose hope. But if I'm this compassionate parental figure holding the kids together, then there's uh, I don't get burned out. And there's, I can connect to something bigger, the wisdom outside of my conditioning, outside of my thinking, outside of my uh, uh, logic, my expectation. 
and that's it seems yeah. it seems like sometimes um it's hard to feel that the compassion but just to trust that it that it is there holding all of that um like sometimes yeah i feel like i have to give myself a pep talk about it and just trust in it rather than know that you know sometimes we don't always connect with it or feel it and so i'm just wondering if that seems right <laughs> yes the word trust is very beautiful yes trust in something bigger than yourself something that is holding everything together and one thing that we could do is if we can't we can't see let's say if we take the anger for example so we can't see the compassion but we could use like i was mentioning with regret or whatever is here in the present and if we sit with this long enough we could see that the root of it is actually the compassion part so if we take anger so we have activism um and we have anger and anger is here if we look at why is the anger here what's the root of the anger well the root of the anger is act is compassion not wanting to see others suffer that's really the root and if we see that on the surface compassion can manifest in a lot of different ways like like david was saying about being patient so it could it could manifest if we have attachment along with our compassion for outcome and that outcome is far off and we're not succeeding and it could lead to frustration um it could lead to impatience and again the root of it is is not wanting to see self or others suffering so the root is compassion and so if we don't move away even from anger there's no need to move away from anger actually but to sit with it non-judgmentally enough so we could see it at the essence it can, it's compassion arising so this um compassionate whole like david's talking about this this energy everything's in within it you know so we act, it can't we can never leave it we can never see um it can never be anything different than that so we don't really need to fear like our own anger we don't need to have an aversion to our own anger because if we sit with it long enough it's always going to show compassion no matter what even if a if a parent is yelling at the child for running across a street or whatever i'll use that analogy it's really compassion so the same things here um and it's, and if we really want to be resilient as david was saying we want to to sit with whatever is here and then to to transform that so we can move back into this that pure energy of compassion that's where real resilience lies you know free free of that attachment and free of that division thank you so much casey <laughs> you you hit in the point and maybe i can show a little bit more in so this is anger if we forget the if we forget the compassionate quality then this anger overpower us controlling us but if we can bring compassion to our anger now now by resting in the compassionate quality now anger transform itself because we're not feeding into uh, anger so the the energy of anger most of the energy go back to compassion now this 
only the core of anger. And now this core of anger is only a feedback mechanism. It tells us what we need to do to change the system. But now this anger is just observing something that reminds us, give us, uh, uh, showing us what needs to be done. So anger, if it's part of the compassionate whole, then anger become a very good feedback mechanism that help us. But anger without this compassionate whole, then anger by itself will overpower us and will make us burn out because without the compassionate whole, anger carry expectation, uh, carry our uh, conditioning, our wanting. And reality will not go the same way as our wanting expectation and that will cause burnout. Thank you. I want to offer something on this. Go ahead. Go ahead. So there's a lot of, a lot of us experienced anger and frustration in the last week, understandably. And it was, as you're saying, <clears throat> founded in our desire for, our, our, our compassion or desire for things to be more equitable for things to be more just. Um, and I see um, in terms of what David was saying about having faith in that there's a couple of different things that have manifested through this focus. One of them is there are some policy changes that have happened in terms of funding and such that you know I've seen in the news, which is encouraging. That's one of the things that the people who were expressing their um, anger and frustration in the streets were asking for. And so some of that has been heard. And I also see the compassion manifesting here in Long Beach. And I just can't encourage you enough if you're in this area to get out and look at the areas that were looted and that were boarded up because those areas now have people who have the artists that have come in. And I've been documenting this for the last week and they've just done amazing work on all these boards that are up. I mean, it's just, and if you go out and experience the vibe of the people who are doing this, um, it's a very loving vibe. It's a very service-oriented uh, vibe. It's loving kindness embodied, really, um, in um, art. So we do have... We do have things that are coming out of this one. I think one of you were talking about, or one of us was talking about uh, a counterbalance, you know, from this, you know, frustrated, hurt emotion. We have this um, counterbalance of loving kindness coming through, just people responding to what's happened. So I encourage people to keep that in mind as you're processing what what's going on. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Um, I thought it'd be a good time. There's like 35 of us or so, and so it's um, hard to hear all of our voices. So maybe, maybe even if it's 10 minutes, if we get in a smaller group, that'll be nice. So I thought we'd do a little bit breakout, some breakout rooms, so um, everyone could have an opportunity to, to discuss. Um, so yeah, I'll put you in fairly small groups, 
because we have not not a ton of time, but um, so maybe two to three people um, per room. And um, and yeah, we could discuss it in more detail what's coming up for you. Um, can I share a, a haiku that I wrote? <laughs> Um, it was kind of written in another context, but I'm finding that it really applies to everything. We have 60 seconds, I think. But um, it was, uh, enjoy the good, stay for the hard, allow this to be imperfect. Thank you. And uh, I could just say, if I could just remember that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Welcome everybody back. I hope you had some good insights and reflections and whatnot. Um, yeah, obviously we usually go back to the larger group, um, but we're out of time for, for that. Um, just want to make a couple announcements. I'm just really happy that our internal group, our um, inside LA Long Beach group, is is having some some offerings uh, that go along with social injustice and whatnot. I know Paula's doing a book club, which I'm really excited about. Um, I think she's filled up on that. Um, but um, but also, Kate, do you want to mention what you're up to as well? Yeah, so on Thursday night, I will be basically watching uh, a lecture, 45 minutes long, by the author who wrote White Fragility, and that's the book that Paul is doing in her book club. So this is a 45-minute, you know, brief version, but it'll just be like, you all came over to my house to watch it, except we can't do that. <laughs> so I will be on Zoom, and I'll show my screen, and... It's anyone is welcome to join and we'll watch together. I'll break for, you know, for discussion and we'll have discussion at the end. And if you, the link is in the newsletter and if you want to share that link with others, that's perfectly fine with me. And that's Thursday night at seven thirty. Yeah. And the book, um, it looks like the book is actually out of stock on on amazon um but um you know you could find used used books and obviously kindle and audible and all that stuff yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say is audible is happening and kindle and all that so yeah thank you books yeah yeah and then um wonderful so maybe let's just close our eyes for a moment we could just dedicate the merit Maybe allowing us to never forget how rare and precious this is. And also, it's really honoring how much, um, just honoring your own path, the whole path, turning towards what is uncomfortable, and being with it, until we can, as David was saying, encompass it with this energy of compassion which infuses everything. 
and really connecting with all beings as a whole, undivided in equanimity. May all beings everywhere without exception. Connect with their own internal compassion, loving kindness, sympathetic joy, equanimity. So we could all be free from suffering together. Thank you again so much, beautiful Sangha. So much love for all of you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.